We should probably record a podcast. We probably should record a podcast. Welcome to Layer of Secrets Podcast, a podcast exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasures of geekdom, and the unexpected intersections of reality. Tonight, we're talking about oracles. What are they? How to use them in your game? Uh, Adding some randomness to things. Uh, Also tonight, we have a special guest with us, former overlord of the secret layer, coding guru, and man least likely to be eaten by a Gru, Chris Miller. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Ken, uh, I understand you've been in the game room for a little bit. I have. And uh, because my... So, for those of you who don't know, uh, or maybe not big on Switch, or Nintendo, or what have you, Legend of Zelda, The Tears of the Kingdom is coming out this Friday. Uh, My son has not stopped talking about it and keeps reminding me that I said, you know, we're going to get it for you. And yes, yes, yes. And all of that. So which reminded me, I've not actually finished Breath of the Wild. And by finish, I mean, start. So I have. I mean, it's okay not to have started. I got like five. I think I maybe got an hour into it. I didn't even get off the introductory plateau. I'm still on the tutorials and I didn't remember (laughs) anything. So I just restarted it and decided, you know what? I'll just I'll just give it a try instead of going out and buying a new game as I am apt to do. I will actually just play Breath of the Wild and then maybe I can get caught up to Lucas by, you know, three or four years before he goes to college. Yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, I have about a year. Tegan uh Tegan has informed us that if we get it for her that she will be able to focus much better on her final presentation that she has to do for high school. So I'm Sure. That's how that works. That is how Yeah, that totally. Works. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, that's what it worked for me in college with SimCity. Like, you study, you build for a few turns. You study, you build for a few turns. I mean, come on, it's a legitimate strategy. <clears throat> okay, so it wasn't like, what was that game? Well, other than Civ, um, there was also, there was another, there was a 4X game as well. Masters of Orion. Oh, you know, oh yes, there was that right the, there. With the just one more turn syndrome. Wait, what do you mean it's three in the morning? Yes, yes. It was For me, it was SimCity which I actually had a class. So it was like civic design or something like that, where we played SimCity and built a city as part of our like classwork. Okay. Civ 2. I think Master of Orion may have come along a little bit later. I don't, I don't remember, but I certainly spent way too many hours playing that game, but yep. this is also pro- procrastination nation. Uh, I, this is, this is going to keep me from finishing Ocarina of Time. I mean, it's only been like 25 years, but um Lucas and I were joking about that because he just knocks out all of the the Zelda games. Like he loves them. He grew up on them. Me, I started Ocarina of Time in like what, 1996, (laughs) 1997. And I'm still trying to get through the final temple. So, I mean, I would say that it's okay because it's the Ocarina of Time and you can just go travel backward, but you can only go back three days. Mm. You can't go back uh, 20 years. No, that's that's Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask. Perhaps. Yes. Ocarina so, of Time is the one where you, you jump back and forth between Kid Link and Adult Link. Right. And then Majora's Mask is the one with the moon coming down. Which is apparently really twisted. My son and I have had some conversations about that. And he's like, I don't understand how this didn't give me nightmares when I was playing it when I was seven. Like, I didn't realize it was that disturbing to you. <laughs> Parent um, of the Year Award, folks. <laughs> it, it is as close to a horror game as Zelda gets. There are zombies in it. But the fact that it's on the N64 and the graphics aren't good compared to today's stuff. He was playing it on the 3DS, so he had some somewhat better graphics. But still, yeah, gotcha. it was a fascinating conversation about him. Like, 
my kids are old enough. I think you guys have this too, like that that they have nostalgia for their childhood now, right? Yeah. And so there's aspects in games that they played when they were when they were little. Like you know, Animal Crossing is a great one for my daughter, right? Like they just they have these pleasant memories growing up, and and they also now have the adult perceptions to understand the things that their younger selves did not. And so watching yeah. them go through that process is is pretty amazing <laughs> it's it's also a little disturbing when you go didn't that just come out like last year and then you realize it's been 15 you know i'll admit <laughs> i i'm not i'm not a nintendo gamer but when you said the ocarina of time came out 25 years ago i had to kind of stop for a second because really <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, it would have been it would have been late 90s, early 2000s ish. Yeah, that was when my daughter played. Because that's yeah. that's when I had the and I have the N64 and I have both of those cartridges. So. So November 21st, 1998. Yeah, I've been married for two years. Oh, yep. my God. <laughs> OK. <laughs> yep, yep. So moving right along, so Chris. hey Chris, you want to talk about something that doesn't make us old? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I can promise that. There are some things that are beyond my power. But um, let's see. I started playing uh, game in early access from Steam because I'm a PC gamer. Um, Shadows of Doubt. Shadows of Doubt is I forget the name of the studio because I'm a terrible person and I didn't prep properly. But what it is is it's a mystery, like a detective slash stealth game but it's procedurally generated or it will be procedurally generated. So you have, you're solving mysteries and you're getting clues and you have a little murder board that you put together throughout the game. You have to pick locks. You have to not get caught. You can get, you know, uh, shot by the cops, you know, but it's, it's in a cyberpunky noir setting, but the cities be procedurally generated. And the cases can be procedurally generated, which is very interesting to me. I did. I I streamed it the other day um, and we had uh, a friend of mine. uh, You guys know Edward. Yes. Yep. um, A game designer and also a a, a film director. um, And we were kind of working through it together and we agreed there's a lot that needs to happen yet as early access, et cetera. But there's a tremendous amount of potential there. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how it comes out. My experience with procedurally generated things is after a while, you begin to see the pattern. It's procedurally <laughs> generated, but it's generated from like four things. And yeah. you know, only. so I'm really curious to see how they handle that. Um, and hopefully it won't get too boring. Um, but it was it was worth it was worth a shot. Then the other game thing is that I threw out into the world a bunch of notes for things that we have been talking about. Yep. Um, we we've been talking about possibly running an amber game and um the idea of using amber diceless there's nothing wrong with amber diceless but i never really learned how to play it and i like dice Back yeah I'm, somewhere I'm, I'm, yeah. Looking at, I'm looking at mine over on the shelf over there um but i wanted to i figured that if we were going to play it whether for the podcast or not Having to learn the system on camera was going to be kind of tricky, especially with a diceless game. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about doing a doing an adaptation for Savage Worlds. Um, and so I put out the bit that I've produced so far for both uh, what I'm calling Savage Amber, but also I run a Savage Worlds Dresden Files game, and I put those 
notes and mechanics out there. They're they're the ideas and the things from the setting, but adopted for Savage Worlds. They're not play tested, so your mileage may vary. But they're out there on GitHub, and I'm hoping that you know maybe some people can use it. We'll use it for for our games, and I'll use it for my other game. But um, that was kind of a big deal for me. It's it's not it's not for sale. It's just out there in the world for people to use if they want it. Yep. Very cool. Cool. I started, I started reading it. I did not get very far because, you know, I picked up Zelda. <laughs> no, I know. I, it's, it's okay. Kevin. It's all right. I understand. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I think I was supposed to be working on a campaign and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watching you, watching you bow ping pong from thing to thing, dude, it, it, it hurts my neck. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, I also have a game, a new game. One, uh, I I started and finished uh, over the last two days, the Guardians of the Galaxy game. And that may seem like a very short game. It's about 20-ish hours. I started on the weekend and I finished yesterday, but it is packed full of story. And yeah. it's a it's a good, good game story-wise. There's some combat in there. It's a little bit like a Zelda and or Metroidvania sort of thing. It's an alternate universe guardians from the movies and the guns that he has. Why am I thinking it's it's Will. Quinn, right? Will Quill. Peter, Peter Quill. I don't know why it's thinking Quinn. Uh, <laughs> Peter Quill it is in this universe, the son of a space king of some sort. Um, and that's how he is in the comics. Yes. That's, that's his deal in the comics. And his guns and in certain times of stress will morph and change in and give him an extra power. There's ice and wind and fire and electricity uh, that he has a, is able to shoot as a special. And so as you get certain things, you have to use that special ability to open up a, uh, a door or open up a, a, a some collapsed stuff or whatever or freeze water so you can walk across it um it's not like zelda and metro metroidvania where you're re-traversing the same level two or three times um they don't do that uh but but the upgrade sort of felt like that sort of thing and it was really good i liked the story uh I did not, uh, I read something online that I, I, I definitely agree with this one, which is I did not feel like it was a bad thing that the original voice actors from the movie did not voice the characters in the video game. It was good voice acting, good characterization. Uh, there's a space llama. It's good. <laughs> it's over, It's overall good. The other thing in the game room is uh, this got delivered. Uh, this is Godsend Agenda. This is not the book. This is the slip cover for the book. Oh. And so this is the actual cover here. Uh, it is very uh, pretty. It is a, I don't know the character name in the book, but it is one of the Godsend Agenda characters, uh, one of the titular gods in there, uh, fighting a giant snake. His head is a flame, similar to, say, Hellboy with his horns. Uh, fully grown. The idea behind it, the, the subtitle for it is a game of postmodern mythology. The idea is, is a long time ago, an alien ship crashed on Earth and uh, it happened to be a prison ship. And so all of these different aliens escaped from it 
And there is something that one group of aliens called the Godsend Agenda, which is what they use to colonize other worlds. And basically, they pretend to be gods to the local inhabitants of that world. And so this has, is the underpinning for our world, effectively, since time immemorial. There's a big disclaimer in the front that says, hey, we're not trying to insult your religion. If you will be insulted by saying your religion is pretend and, and is actually just a bunch of, of superheroes and supervillains posing as gods, then maybe this game isn't for you. But if you're okay with that concept as a fantasy, as it says back here, why play Godsend Agenda? If you want an immersive superheroic experience, if you want to walk the earth as a god, if you want to create a postmodern mythology with your hero at the center, if you want to challenge the status quo and change the world, and if you want to change the world positively and meaningfully, that's why you should play Godsend Agenda. It's really cool. You create a superhero team, and that's and you also create an agenda for your superhero team. And the things you do, it's not your typical superhero game. The things that you do as a team is to further that agenda. And there's some mechanics to actually further the agenda. And the further you get along your, your agenda, the more the world has the world changes to fit your agenda. And of course, there are other groups out there that have their own agendas that you may be allied with or uh, enemies with. So um, it is it's something that uh, uh, full disclosure, I know Jerry Grayson, the, the game designer <laughs> behind this whole thing, uh, but and I have a previous edition of Godsend Agenda. This is as he said, the best version of this game that he has had since he initially came up with the concept after reading Roger Zelazny's Lords of Light. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and and like this is as close. He is a, he is the best game designer he can be now to make his vision that's in his head actually into a game that we could play. Um, and I'm. I'm interested in reading it. It's a huge tome, but I'm interested in reading it and uh, I would like to play it and or run it at some time. Um, like if you do get what's sounds that? Like <laughs> sounds like he's volunteering to uh, run a game. Ken. Some, some I could be volunteering to run a game. Um, I just, I love it. Like even, even the printing of it, he's with the layout, there are color coded sections, which you can actually see on the edges of the paper and everything. And it's, it's just great. Um, I like it. It's uh, it's a beautiful book inside as well. So I'll, I'll stop oh. fanboying about it. And instead, I'll actually uh, introduce our main topic, which is talking about oracles. Speaking of, of gods, sp defining the future. What is an oracle? Ken, what, what is an oracle? An oracle? An oracle. I'm glad you asked. According to God's, uh, not God's, we're great with segues. Uh, wow, <laughs> we are great at segues. According to Iron Sworn, yeah. Look, I even have notes though. I we, I prepared. Uh, yeah. So what what is an oracle? So I mean, honestly, like if you're being cynical, it's just a, a random generated. It's just a table for rolling stuff on. Um, however, Iron Sworn, which is one of the games we've talked about previously, we'll talk more about tonight. Um, it says that an oracle is anything that generates a random result to help determine the outcome of a move, a detail in your world, an NPC action, or a narrative event. I think the difference between, say, a regular, like the oracles that we see in um, an Iron Sworn or it's in its sci-fi successor, the Starforged, the idea is that these are either solo or collaborative or 
um, guided games where you rely heavily on the game mechanics to help inspire what you're going to do next, right? So it's not dictating necessarily what's going to happen next, but it's helping to inspire what you're going to do next. And so I think that's where the Oracle, I think the Oracles are meant to be more instrumental to play. Um, oh, look, so somebody else added another definition. <laughs> that was me. Um, whenever we, whenever, ahead, we do these things, whenever we do these things, I like to go back to what the word, where, where the word meaning comes from. And, you know, that, and, and most oracles, when we talk about an oracle, it, it really comes out of ancient Greece. Uh, the dictionary.com definition, an utterance often ambiguous or obscure given by a priest or priestess at a shrine uh, as the response uh, of a... Uh, as the response of a god to an inquiry, also the agency or medium for giving such responses. So runes, tarot, etc. The thing that I was thinking about, that it's interesting in this case, we call it, you know, we call them oracles. We talk about consulting the oracle and, and all of that. But an oracle implies predestination that something is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. What we do with RPGs is exactly the opposite. <laughs> right, right. It, it's a decision. It's a it's a, a point of random chance so that you don't predestine what you're going to do. And uh, that was, I, I found that juxtaposition really interesting as we were researching this. Yeah, I only heard about oracles. Usually they're called random encounter tables or mm-hmm. random tables or whatever. I don't know where the origin of the word oracle in gaming, you know, came from. Um, I only started hearing about it about a year or two ago, probably two years ago. Um, yeah. I heard and, it from you with iron sworn. Right. Um, <laughs> I had never, before then they were just random. As a matter of fact, I think back on the random, like the earliest random tables that I can think of were that I like the history of the term in the context of what we're, what, what we work with when, especially I, when, when we solo RPG, um, I, I like them. Don't get me wrong. I like them as part of group stuff too, but I think that's a different creature slightly. Yeah. yeah. That, that kind of goes into the next question, which is why use oracles in early D and D early role-playing games, I should say, because uh, tunnels and trolls and other things like that I had random tables as well. Back then there weren't really many modules or, or any modules initially. Uh, and it was more of here is how you play. And if you don't have any ideas, consult this thing and, uh, and it will give you ideas that you can then continue on with. But now that we're in a bit more modern day and role-playing games has been around for a long time. Um, I want to ask Chris and Ken, what do you use oracles for now? There are two. You can go first, Chris. <laughs> okay. There are, are a couple of a couple of ways to unpack this. Um, I've been doing more solo RPG play of late. It took that. That's probably a whole topic in and of itself. So let me just put that over on the shelf. But what I use them for is um, I come to a point in the plot. Uh, it's almost like playing tennis. I hit, uh, I, I, I receive the ball and I got to hit the ball back. Something's got to hit it back to me. Um, you, and, you know, it, it's it, maybe you're playing against a, a garage door instead of a human. But <laughs> the idea is that there's a give and take of, of action, reaction or, or cause and effect. And especially in a so. When you're writing a story, you kind of keep that going in your head and you have to come up with these ideas. 
when I'm doing it in the context of a solo RPG, which I, I have to admit, I'm not turning into prose. That's a lot of people, a lot of people do. And that's great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I just keep notes because I just want to know what happens. I use it to help figure out what direction, what general direction things are going to go next. So, um, an iron sworn is a really good, you know, example. Um, you know, if I get a, a weak success on something, something happens that's not the intended result. Mm -hmm. That is usually, uh, if, if it comes to me, I'll go with it. But if it doesn't, I will, I've done a couple of things. The first one is go roll on the Oracle and then see what that spurs. And what it does is it gives my creativity a channel to flow into instead of just spewing everywhere. Um, the other thing that I've started to do based on an article that Ken recommended is I've started to use chat GPT as a, as a, um, as a way to interpret the Oracle. So it says, you know, I was doing a thing the other day with one of my characters for our cyberpunk game, um, kind of playing through her early history mm -hmm. and, Oh, I get off the I get off the uh, the train or the 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 rapid transit, whatever it is in Night City, and um, the Oracle says that I see something that disturbs me. What do I see? And it came up with something pretty disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> and what I do is I kind of use that as raw material. Sometimes I'll take it as it is. Sometimes I'll refine it and edit it so it fits a little bit better because ChatGPT isn't great at this. But it, it, it got it close enough, and I've started to play around with that. And what it does is, what, what I really get at the end is a character that has been through things that I didn't railroad it on, that mm -hmm. feels more alive to me and is much more interesting to play. Um, it's I mean, kind you, of way... Sorry, go on. You, no, I, I was just going to say, you know your own brain, for the most mm -hmm. part, you know, as much mm -hmm. as any of us can know our own brains. But, right. you know, like, you know how you would write something like mm -hmm. I know that when I write things or or think of things, sometimes the characters that I put together uh, get along too well, you know, and right. so like yeah. having an oracle uh, say, uh, you know, say something, you know, like using your example of like you see something disturbing, like I could think of mm -hmm. a couple things that are disturbing, but it gives your it gives your mind a different track to go down that you may yeah. not have thought of, but is just as or more interesting to you because it wasn't something out of your own brain in that sense. And the thing that it, it, it kind of is, is interesting to me is um, there was a time when I read tarot cards and I never held with the idea that they were foretelling the future, but as a brainstorming and interpretation tool, what it did is it jogged things loose, jogged things loose. Yeah. Symbols would, would jog something loose and I would think about the problem or think about the thing in a different way. And I think you can do that with anything. Some people do it with like opening up the Bible to a particular passage or, you know, it's, it, I don't know, we'll leave divine messaging out of it, but we'll, we can say it, what it does is it, it switches the track of your brain mm -hmm. to yes. open it up to new possibilities. And so yeah. when I solo RPG, that's what I use it for. Um, yeah, I think, 
yeah go on yeah sorry i was just gonna say like with this with the solo rpging like i've done a couple and, and none of them really had oracles per se but they were using decks to manage to, to indicate to you that something has happened so i guess they're kind of oracle right like so through hiker daniel perez's uh uh game of like long distance backpacking um you know you would know that you came up against a challenge you knew that you came up against um you know, you're running low on supplies and that you were going to need to flake. And then there were random good events and random bad events that would happen. And then they would inform the narrative. And I wouldn't necessarily have put my my character into these positions, right? If you're right. playing pragmatically, you're going to want to... And I, I do a lot of backpacking, right? So I wouldn't make the bad choice. Right. At least I wouldn't make that bad choice. But the game through the oracles can in, inspire you to maybe pursue that choice. Yes. And one of the things that I've always seen, and, and it was really brought into focus when Spirit of the Century came out and Fred Hicks and Rob Donahue would talk about it, is failure is more interesting than than success. Very and much so, so like if you can usually failure, like take a look at any movie. It's not just success, 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 you know, just all the way to the end. That's a boring movie. If everything goes right, it's a very short movie and, and there's nothing interesting. <laughs> it's your characters encountering something difficult, failing to overcome it, going back, doing whatever they need to do, montage scene, who knows, um, comes back and uh, tries to find a way around it or has new abilities or new knowledge that allows them to get through what they couldn't get through before. And... Uh, I just probably described it in the most boring way possible, but it is much <laughs> more interesting to fail. Not and and not all failures end in death. Let, let me let right. me make that clear. For a long time, up until not up until Spirit of the Century, but a lot of times, failure in like D and D or your typical fantasy role playing was you would face death. You know, like it's still a problem today. You know, I still see on Reddit and other places like that. How do I get my party to run away from an obviously lethal encounter in games like D&D, especially fifth edition, where you're effectively just superheroes and fantasy garb? It is hard to say, no, this thing can kill you. It's hard to to give that sort of signal, um, but. Failing in different ways and uh, causing your character's pain uh, is something that is more interesting story-wise and more fun to play through when you finally are able to overcome the the trouble. Agreed. Agreed. I think there's the second use of them, which is like in a in a group game of some kind. You know, the typical one is either wandering monsters or <laughs> or um, you know treasure. You know, whatever. Yep. Um, and I. I made this in the notes later, but I can talk about it now a little bit is, you know, you could just, it could be spontaneity, right? If you're doing it in the middle of the game, it's spontaneity. If you roll for the wandering monsters ahead of time, it's prep. Right. And there's nothing wrong with prep. I've actually, this is a thing that, and I'm a little embarrassed. It wasn't until like my most recent campaign in D&D that I've actually started like, you know, I don't, you know, Wizards of the Coast, they, they do this constantly 
where they have, oh, hey, all these different things can be happening throughout the game. So you need to remember uh, weather and and monsters and all that. I've only recently begun sitting down and going, you know what? I don't want to be rolling this in the middle of things. This is what's going to happen on this day. This is what's going to happen on that day. Right. You know, when they travel, this is what's going to happen. And, and using it as a prep tool as opposed to, um, oh God, I got to remember, I got to remember that there, there might be a blizzard and everything that happens in a blizzard, or I got to remember that. Right. So, you know, it, it, it does change the texture of the game, but I think it's, you know, I think I'm over wandering monsters at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they both, both have their use. Um, mm -hmm. if you have the time to prep. I think they're really useful. They can be really useful there to get you out of your own head and to give mm -hmm. give you or your players something unusual that maybe your players wouldn't see coming because you didn't yep. as a as a game master didn't create it. Uh whereas yep. um if you're in game and your players have thrown you a curveball and you're like, mm -hmm. "Oh shoot, like uh I have 8 pages of stuff prepared and they just went left when I prepared everything to the right. Well, that's maybe that's when you pull, pull out your random oh. tables and your oracles. And, um, yeah, I'm sure you all have, and I, like I do uh, a, a folder of a folder of bookmarks. If this happens, <laughs> I go here. If this happens, I go there, you know, and in different charts, I even have charts uh, for stress and mental illness. Uh, Interesting. Okay. <laughs> whole thing um in in my game if you have to make death saves that's going to leave a mark mentally mm -hmm. and you know so we play that way but i mean there's there are so many great tables out there and so many tools and i think we'll get to that later on in the show but yeah, yeah. Actually, well actually let's talk about that a little bit we've talked about where we we've used things in games and and uh both solo games and uh group games not all random tables are created equally um, <laughs> so uh and stop me if we want to talk about this later but like i wanted to talk about like a little bit of like the math and how you create a random table or how you evaluate if a random table is a good random table or not well, um, i want to put a question to you first yeah before we do that um so in our notes we have solo games which i had some answers for and we have traditional games and we all have answers for that. Co-op games is blank because I don't <laughs> play a lot of co-op games. I've got I've got a very definite bias toward either solo or guided. Um, yeah. David, I, I don't Ken, I don't know how what your experience is with these things, but I know David likes co-op games a lot. Whether he's played a lot of them is a different question. Co-op role-playing games, no. I, 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 I plenty of co-op board games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we tried uh, Iron Sworn, Starforged, and we got through creating our characters and the setting. And then, uh, I mean, maybe we'll get back to it. But my luck, it, you know, with my luck with putting together gaming groups, we probably won't. Um, well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I think we will. I just probably think we won't with the group that we had. Baby, um, yeah. I, I have wanted to get back to that. I've wanted to, especially after having played it more and gotten yeah. a feel for it, because we walked in cold. Yeah, that and that was. I, I think that's really what 
that and you know my my real life stuff got in the way and i'm sure other people's real life stuff got in the way um and then we chose to do it on thursdays which is also now our cyberpunk nights so you know all that stuff is weird i like the idea of starforged and it's kind of the same as guided it's just mm -hmm. instead of having a gm fill in extra details the person who would be the gm is a player and then everybody gets to fill in mm -hmm. extra more extra details than they normally would in a co-op mm -hmm. game or in a guided game i should say right yeah. um where yeah. guided equals dungeon master or game but, master right. but having said that anyone out there who's listening if these guys have played in more of the co-op section of things where there isn't really a gm and everyone's telling the story talk to us about it because that's not something that we have experience in yeah, I think, you know, I tried to I tried to get my uh, my my lunchtime group to play Starforged um, because I thought because we, we were transitioning out of two very long running games, three years plus one mm -hmm. GURPS, one D&D. &D. And so I'm like, you know, uh, if nobody wants to DM right now, then one option would be to run a co-op game. I think to me, it feels like there's a, a mental shift. And I almost wonder if you could do a mashup of co-op and sort of like Westmarks, where the idea is, it's like whoever wants to play is playing. Right. And so, right. you know, if you've got two people, that's enough for a game. You have three people, that's enough for a game. And they kind of go off and do their own co-op world building and then circle back to the larger group and kind of report out on what new things they discover. They add it to the map. Um, I think that could be interesting and fun, but I think it does require a bit of a, a, a mental shift. Right. Because everybody has more agency. And so that mm -hmm. means everybody has to like more people need to take more responsibility, I think, is kind of what it comes down to in that kind I, of a scenario. I consider yeah. it conservation of effort. Right. It's it, either, <laughs> either the guided, either the guide is putting forth the effort to keep the world going or the players. And it takes an awful lot to get the players in that headspace where they feel they can contribute. And again, this is probably a totally different topic and show. Yeah. Um, it's it's always been an issue. There's there's one time I've played a co-op game where it all kind of naturally flowed, and I think you were there for that, David. I think we, we were at um, at a convention, and I believe Jedzia Axelrod was running Fiasco, and it 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 fell together. But that's as much because of Jedzia's personality as anything else. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> yeah. So and it like and it it depends on where you come from, role playing wise as well. Like fate games spirit of the century dresden files uh fate of cthulhu all those other games at the very beginning it says these games are for players who play proactive characters and not for it's not necessarily a game for uh be players who are who enjoy being told a story that their characters happen to be in which is which a lot of a lot of D and 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 like D&D modules are a story happening around the characters that the characters happen to be there to witness, but aren't necessarily the characters have a goal to go out and do something. It's a goal is imposed upon the characters and all of those games are totally valid. It's just which ones you enjoy the most, but if you come from the fate side of things, I think a co-op game is much easier to wrap your head around than if you were to come from a game where the GM told you what was going on all the time and you didn't have as much player agency. Like you couldn't spend, you can't spend fate points or whatever to 
alter the world you know you can in in fate you know spend some fate points to alter the world i think uh cortex is it cortex yeah um yeah cortex system allows you to alter what is going on in the world or you know like i know a guy and you spend some points and you do know a guy and suddenly that guy exists in the world and the gm didn't know that um and so i think that if you have come from that mindset i think the co-op games would be much easier to do and then having the oracles there means that if you guys if you all around the table don't have uh, an idea or you want to interject some randomness uh and some some more adversary in it the oracles can be very informative as to uh what's happening um and i think oracles are more important in games like that than they are in say guided games because in a guided game you can you can think of something it may not be very interesting but you can at least think of something uh as a gm uh going through things whereas in a co-op thing it's much more on the cops and robbers spectrum side of things than the uh rigid rule system side of things yeah i think regardless of how you're playing it the oracles can play a powerful role if you're stuck mm-hmm. so you know if you're like yeah we've been uh <clears throat> Tweeting is not the right word, and they got rid of tooting. Posting <laughs> on Mastodon. Yeah. Because uh, honestly, I've been struggling some with, like, I've been calling it a writer's funk. It wasn't quite writer's block, but it's like sitting down and saying, okay, well, because part of it's because I'm starting up two campaigns simultaneously, right? Like, my brain's ping-ponging between Dungeons & Dragons and Cyberpunk and, like, trying to figure out, well, where do I go from here, right? So I started playing around with every random table I could to try and break out of this this funk. It turns out going backpacking for a weekend is actually what I needed. But <laughs> I th- I think if you're sitting there at the table and you're not going backpacking, you know there there is this opportunity to just go. I don't know what happens next. The players surprised me. We've all had the, that moment. And so like I'm I have the uh, the um, Iron Sworn PDF in front of me right now. And like the first Oracle is action, and it's uh, items one through a hundred, starting with scheme, ending with summon. And then the second table is theme, starting with risk and ending with supply, another 100, right? And so you just roll. And so I could pick, uh, I'll just pick one at kind of random. Manipulate, debt. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay, cool. I already, like, just saying that, like, you're in a bar and you, you like, something's going on. The players aren't doing anything. Manipulate debt. Huh. Some what heavies just showed up trying to shake somebody down for that gold that they were offered or they were well, offering or, like, you know... Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I'm 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 like I said, I'm playing that, I'm playing around with that um, character for our cyberpunk game and just trying to. And one of the things I love about cyberpunk is gigs, little tiny little tiny adventures that just mm-hmm. all string together. I loved it in the role in the video game. I love it in the role playing game. So I wrote a set of oracles that between that and using. Um, it's up on uh, drive through RPG, Augmented Reality. It's a great supplement, lots of great tables. Fantastic. <laughs> using a combination of those and ChatGPT, generating new gigs for this character to go through. Now, there's still it's still very rough, and I still have to do a lot of thinking. And that being said, but I can put together this thing and then run down that road for a while. And and that's really all I want, right? And it at the end of it, it 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 gives me more hooks, which is something we all want, whether we're playing solo or with other people. Yep. These hooks that build this that you hang the character on. I mean, you you said it earlier. Um, is 
it's easier to have those hooks than a blank piece of paper. Um, yeah. You know, if you're if you have a blank piece of paper and someone says write a story, you have a wealth, an infinite number of possibilities to write. If someone says write a story about a pink elephant in walking down the streets of New York, you've got a whole bunch of hooks right there immediately, and you've got some constraints as well. You know, you're in New York, there has to be a pink elephant. You know, there and you're walking down the street, and so. You've got those constraints and your mind can start putting together a story on those hooks or constraints, depending upon how you look at them, uh, much more easily than the infinite possibilities that you can just randomly think of things. Randomly think of something, anything, <laughs> everybody right. out there, randomly think of something. Like when you say <laughs> that, you, your brain doesn't have anything to grab right away. So you might start looking around the room and see like I have... 45 master characters, last chance to see uh, little brother. It, you might start thinking, grabbing the, in your, your mind is immediately re like mine. That example here is I'm immediately reaching out for oracles in the room around me. So it's, it gives you hooks. And so, yeah, it, I agree, Chris It's like, like having those hooks is very, very handy when you're stuck rather than just having the blank piece of paper in front of you. So I think when it when it comes to designing the oracles, um, as you were leading us towards, I think um, I think it's, that's a it's a good question because I think one of the other things that oracles can help you with, and you know, we're, I guess we're talking a lot about Iron Sworn tonight, but it's a, it's a really good example, right? The tables reinforce the world, right? Yeah. So location descriptors is Oracle Six for Iron Sworn, and you have words like grim, dead, ruined, blighted. You also have fertile. Um, but you also have exposed and flooded and like, so those words are helping you describe, like they, they chose those words, right? Those yep. words are reinforcing the setting that you have. Um, there's settlement name generator where you've got like, you know, locations that are based around, um, a landscape feature or a creature or what have you. Well, that tells you something about that culture, right? That those cultures would name a settlement Eagle Craig because there are eagles nearby and they respect eagles, right? Like that that's telling yeah. you something about the world. And I think, so I think the, the, that's the other place that oracles play. But I think when you're designing your tables and I don't know, and maybe Chris can speak to this better than I have, these aren't biasing their tables in a particular way. I don't think having read through them last night. I can't um, speak for Iron Sworn, but I know that I mean, the stuff that I see in Starforged, um, they're mostly, like, mostly they are um, either very slight bell curves or completely even. Yeah. Um, they, there, are, there are some things, like, you know, I'm looking at uh, planet-side features for a jungle world, and there is definitely a bell curve in this... <laughs> In the, it may be shallow, but it is definitely there. There are definitely things that are more likely and less likely. Um, right. and, and I appreciate yeah. that. That's, the, the bell curve is one of those rabbit holes you could run down when creating oh, yeah. your oracle. I mean, I sat there working one out. I was creating a gig generator before I found augmented reality. And it was kind of like, which is more probable, piracy or assassination? Which, you know, and, yeah. you know, and, and figuring out, you know, what does that distribution look like? And, but, um, right. and let's, let's take it uh, up a bit of a level here. You know, like, mm -hmm. what do we mean by bell curve or, or not? Um, you know, like, if you're in the early, well, shall we say, 
basic D&D days. Their <laughs> random wandering monster generator for level for level one monsters was you roll a D20 and there was one monster for every oh. number. And so you could just as easily run into a dwarf as you could run into a spider crab or a bandit or a killer bee. Uh, and for some tables, having that linear, any of these things is equally possible distribution is fine. If you're if you're just looking at a random list of names uh, or a random list of words, uh, it's kind of like uh, Ken was saying earlier, and you just want something to hook your imagination onto, that's probably fine. But if you want like a themed dungeon, maybe you would want to have some sort of uh, distribution here that it's more likely to find spider crabs than it is sprites. The difference between sprites and green slime or things like that. When uh, it used to be a, a, a hilarious thing that people would talk about of like, you'd go into a dungeon, it would be a zoo. Why didn't they all eat each other? That's, you know, this wandering monster table is indicative of that. You know, you roll it and you just kind of populate different parts of the dungeon with it. Um, it doesn't really have any rhyme or reason. Or you could, you know, put something together like Ironsworn Starforge, like the starship section, you know, the, the likelihood on a D100 roll of meeting a carrier is all of 2%, whereas uh, encountering just about anything else has a much higher percentage <laughs> than than uh, a carrier or Corvette or whatever. Um, you know, the, it goes from 2% for certain things. It goes to uh, like 10 or more percent for some things, 5% for others. It, there was some thought put into a theme of the galaxy you're not going to equally randomly discover a dreadnought versus a hauler. They distribute those things in a in a different way so that it, it's more themed. I, th I think the best game that I've come across, even for like just adult gamers, uh, that to help really conceptualize probability, because it's hard to just kind of like for some folks, it's just like you look at it and go, what? And I don't necessarily get the math once you get beyond 2D6, but Settlers of Catan, I think, is a great example of a game. And at this point, many, many people have played it, right? Mm -hmm. so the core mechanic is you roll a 2D6, and then that generates results. Um, however, you know, at the, at the opposite ends of the curve, right, are the 2 and a 12. Those are least, least likely to produce. And so if you've got a 2 on a wheat and you have a 12 on an ore, those resources are going to be much less... Uh, available in a particular any particular game and since it's determined ra randomly people get to the point where they look at the table and go oh my gosh right like these resources i know it's going to be uh, scarcer in the game and at the same time the number that's most likely to come up at the top of the bell curve is seven which is the robber which is the mechanic that forces people to do things right because you move it on to a particular hex you can steal stuff from them and so i think that was a good that's a, it's a perfect game for for looking at how probability impacts the gameplay, the odds of the game, how people are going to play the game. And so mm -hmm. for my part, I can't say that I've ever sat down and I bet you there's some some blog posts out there that we could find that would give you recommended probability breakdowns based on the percentage that you want to do on a D100 table. Right. But what I did for my um, Obsidian Frontier campaign, there's certain encounters I knew that wanted to come up more often because I did do random encounters but I had stories attached to some of those encounters. So there was a, a wyvern named Triple Threat. Like he's the old miserable wyvern that's hunting the Bolmarge and just like randomly strikes. 
I don't want him to have the same possibility of showing up as just some other wyvern. Like he is a threat, and if they see him at low level, they should run, right? And so uh, the same thing. I had gnolls. Uh, they had slightly less probability, but I had like three different bands of gnolls that that um, they were uh, enslaved to some hags or allied with some hags. I think they were more like I think the story evolved that they were like unwilling participants in the hags uh, gathering of resources, as it were, and so. Just through probability, higher than I would have expected, the gnolls kept coming up. And so the whole campaign, the players just kept running into these gnolls and they had encounter after encounter and it became like a thing, right? Because they knew some of these gnolls. They knew about the hags. They never actually followed up on them, but it, it reinforced like this is a particular danger. This is a story that's happening when you're not looking. Yep. Yep. And I, I'll, I'll reinforce that, you know, thinking about this as you go into solo play, there are... There are a lot of tools out there to help you create your own oracles. There are some really great sites where you can script it, but there are also, I, I, I gazed into the depths of Reddit today and there are, <laughs> there are very robust discussions about the distribution for various dice, dice types. And while that's, that's, not, that's not how I get my jollies, I respect the fact that they do this because I can go and look at that and go, all right, here's a breakdown for a, for a, a percentile dice. Here are the, the, the average points, right? Yep. And that way you make sure your party is not as likely to run into a goblin as a Tarrasque. Now, uh, if you want that without having to go through some of Reddit, which is fine, I would say go through Reddit because there are going to be some extra, there's humans there and they can have some ideas that you aren't going to think of. But if you just want the dice probability side of things, uh, this is something that Rob Donahue had mentioned years ago that I occasionally go back to and take a look at. Anydice.com is Ooh, a dice probability calculator, and it will show you the actual distribution, um, like the one that automatically comes up when you go to anydice.com is 3D6. And it shows you the 3D6 bell curve. It also shows you that Rolling a three or an 18 on 3D6 is a 0.46% chance. It tells you those things if you really want to know it. And you can change the a view as like a table or a graph. You can change the types of dice, etc. cetera. Um, so if you're designing a game or if you want to design an Oracle that uh, you, you want to know how often certain numbers come up, um, anydice.com should have you covered. Also, minor little piece of trivia for those who may not want to use anydice.com while playing uh, Settlers of Catan, each of the numbers <laughs> also has a number of dots underneath yes. the numbers. The more dots, the more likely those numbers are going to come up. Um, you probably already figured that out if you played before, but uh, oh, yeah. just in case. <laughs> For those out there who but may it, not have seen it. But it is a great visual reinforcement because I think, you know, playing other games growing up where you just roll a D6, like people don't aren't really thinking about the mechanic that's driving. Like that was very yeah. conscious game mechanic decision. Yeah. And it also allows for it also allows for younger players who may not have a huge math background to to come into it and go, oh, I want to put my. Uh, I want to put this the my my village like on this thing with four dots, you know, not <laughs> the number eight. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to to them when you're rolling 2d6. But if it's got four dots, I want my guy there. And then, of course, it will all end in tears and ruin when for the gods <laughs> of, of chance and 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 randomness and just cruel, cruel fate, 
cause all of your sixes and eights to never come up during the game, but two and 12, aren't they hot? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of segued us into tools. Indeed. I did um, a little bit. The, the things that I have found most useful um, for years, I've been using donjon. Mm -hmm. uh, donjon.bin.sh. Um, it's a good one. A bunch of bunch of different things out there. One I discovered recently is perchance.org. Hmm. This allows you to create using just text uh random generation things. So it could be you're you're randomly generating names or you're randomly generating um uh town, you know, towns or, or whatever, but you can do it via text and then share that with your friends or, or, you know, other people. Um, I'm going to begin looking at using that for, um, some of my stuff. There was another um, one out there as well. And I don't, I can't recall the name of it right now, but it was basically a community. It was very similar to perchance where you could put in your own oracles or your own <laughs> random tables and then you'd save them and then other people could look them up and use them uh, and roll on them uh, whenever they mm -hmm. wanted to. So like there was a couple times where it's like, oh, yeah, let me let me put together this random table for making net architectures using the cyberpunk red stuff. And then I would go and it's like, oh, someone's already done that. It's right over here. And rather than coding it yourself, I think, I think but yeah, tools like that yeah. are pretty awesome. The other thing I will say, if you have some time. Go take a look at textfiles.com slash RPG. Textfiles.com is Jason Scott's site that archives huge swaths of the very old internet, like before the World Wide Web, when it was BBSs and Usenet. Uh. And these are a bunch of really fantastic... There are tables in there, but it is not just tables. There are some mm -hmm. really fun bits of old D&D &D just lore that are in these in these text files but that's more of a when you've got some time and you feel like running down a rabbit hole type thing yep yep <laughs> i'm sure it's got the gazebo story in there <laughs> uh, like i originally read the gazebo story on usenet um i don't know if it actually was in nights was it nights of the dinner table was that it was had that i don't know they've, if it was originally it. in that uh or if it was on usenet like I know they created it, but like, I don't know where it originally, originally was written down. Um, there's a head of Vecna. Yeah. Right. Or they, they have, of course, <laughs> vampire, they have GURPS, they have fudge. There is a, a conversion of the world of darkness for a Highlander game that is in here. <laughs> I, wow. I actually you, you ran that, that as part of my world of darkness game that I had the players create themselves using the vampire and werewolf mm -hmm. and world of darkness setting. And so I was, uh, I, I do remember that in the late nineties, the Highlander. Um, and then there was a, there was actually a, I think it might've been called ghost before Wraith came out. There was somebody had put out a fan version where you could play a ghost and other stuff like that. There were a bunch of those out there, not a bunch, bunch, but like there were, there were several, very popular ones out there. I would, yeah, I, I'm going to have to look that up. Cause that was a, that was a favorite of mine. I think that was fairly well put together. The Highlander one was fairly well put together back then. Slight, slight tangent here, you know, cause we don't do tangents at all. Uh, there <laughs> is a game by Ryan Macklin. I believe it is, uh, Katana's and Trenchcoats, yes. which is 
all about old school World of Darkness, old school katanas for, for Highlander, trench coats. It also has car wizards in it, which is which straddles the line between uh, Knight Rider and uh, Fast and the Furious. So the, the car wizards, if you try and think about the physics of what's going on with the car, it will fail. Like that's part of the rules. Um, uh, there's ghosts and stuff in it. I have not played it, but I, I do want to pick it up and, and I've heard good things about it. There's another type of Oracle, uh, going back to kind of the math of things that I don't see used very often, but has been around for a while. One of my, uh, I, I won't say this is my favorite supplement. Um, the wilderness survival guide from advanced Dungeons and dragons, first edition, I think this is mm -hmm. first edition. Um, the Dungeoneer survival guide was more interesting to me, but the wilderness survival guide has some interesting stuff in it. And there's one, one piece of it. Oh, I evidently have a, uh, Oriental adventures character tucked in this book. <laughs> um, the, uh, it's, you probably can't see it and I'll, I'll describe it since we also do it. You know, this is a podcast, which may not be visual uh it's the day-to-day -day change in the weather and the, mm -hmm. the concept or of it is this is an oracle that has a memory the way you roll on this it's it's a 2d6 roll but the temperature change it's the temperature change from the last temperature that was taken so if it's 72 degrees out and you roll uh you roll a a four on two die six the temperature change goes down two steps so it gets it gets two steps colder on the temperature chart and uh it has a it now has a chance of precipitation um if you roll a seven there's no change it's the same chance of pre precipitation and the wind conditions are the same as the previous day so like on your seven which you know as we just talked about settlers Catan, most common roll the weather is not going to change. It's going to stay the same. But if you roll on the two or the 12, you can get, you know, plus or minus three steps in a giant temperature swing, big chance of precipitation, uh, very strong or very slight winds, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and it's a way to, if you think of oracles that way of like, if you think of oracles in a way of this is the amount of change that could happen from the current status quo that's an interesting way to to create an oracle for your game where you're giving it a theme that is not going to give you wildly different results like the basic uh, random random monster where everything has the same chance so you're basing it on what has come before uh and things like weather are perfect for that there are some other things out there um for uh, and it's escaping me right now of other things that you could use a memory for, but, uh, hopefully that give sparks some imagination in, in some of you who want to create your own oracles. Yeah. I actually could see that, you know, if you're thinking about dungeon world and fronts or just story, the idea that there are stories that are happening when the players aren't paying attention and having mm -hmm. oracles related to those particular stories, because as a DM, you don't necessarily care about exactly how they step like you want to maybe you want to surprise yourself right and so here are some possibilities about things that could advance or you just have one general one that you use for all of the fronts and and see are all the fronts advancing simultaneously does the front suffer us a, a setback a, a, a setback right like 
you know, I've been thinking about these kinds of things in terms of like how complicated you want to make Night City and Cyberpunk, right? Because you want it. It's a city. It should feel dynamic, right? There should feel like stuff is happening, but it's hard to like keep track of all of that. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I think that would be very useful in a in a campaign where you're dealing with perhaps political and economic forces that actually drive things, you know, yes. uh, the, the markets are down by X amount or the political situation with this nation shift, kind of your, your, your broad background stuff, the stuff you hear on NPR in the morning, you know, when yes. you're driving to work, it doesn't necessarily impact you directly, but it's the broad shape of things. Yep. Um, and I you would, really notice when it's, yeah. there's a big swing. Um, right. And the big swings can happen, but they don't happen very often. And so if you have that good, uh, a good distribution on your random chart, you can have the status quo slightly change here and there, but then occasionally there'll be a big swing uh, that will, that could pertain to your characters in the game. So talking tools, the other thing I just came across because I've been listening to the listen up, you screwballs. What the heck was the name? Primitive Screwheads. Yes, there you go. Listen up, you primitive screwheads. It's a collection. We talked about this briefly before. I think it's a collection of essays for Cyberpunk 2020, originally published in the mid 90s, currently out as an audiobook on uh, Audible and I think other channels. Um, and it's cool because it's them talking about 2020, which, of course, for us is the past. But yep. one of the things they brought out in there was an idea called blue booking, which I, I think I just came across this yesterday or this morning. I said I would just slack you guys about it, but it was it was all the rage in the mid 90s. And the idea is the blue books came from when we were in college and you yep. had to get a blue book from the college store for writing an essay for an exam. Right. And you would just fill the blue book with your essay. The idea is you would get one of these blue books and you'd use it to tell some aspect of your character in the past. And so it struck me that a combination of you know, solo play um, or even co-op play around particular points in your character's history could be really interesting, right? Like, you know you have these things because you're generating a life path in Cyberpunk. And I th there's other games as well. Like, we had when we were doing our free gens for, I think, Josh's character, right? Like, his family was killed. His girlfriend was killed. His other girlfriend, like, left him. And then some other horrible thing happened, right? Now, those aren't necessarily things you would want to go back and role play, but you could, like, what happened, what, what was, what led him on this path to just, like, endless sadness, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, your, your family was wiped out by corporate drones. Let's dig into that a little bit. Or, you know, there's a heist that caused you to go, that went bad and caused you to go underground. Using oracles and then teasing out that part of your character seems like it would be really interesting. And Chris, you've been sounds like you've been doing that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I didn't know it was called blue booking, but yeah, I've been I've been trying to use yeah, I've been trying to use these random things to do two things. One, I've just got a real itch to game cyberpunk, <laughs> and you know, we have lives, and it's very hard. Yes. But this this scratches that itch. But but also I I'm I've become really fascinated by the character I'm playing because I've been flushing it out. The the life path system in Cyberpunk Red is so robust, and it just it, it makes me want to know more about this character. It's it's I don't know if it's healthy, but it's interesting. <laughs> it was it was funny in the book because they talked about the dangers of blue booking because they would. In some ways, it's a very uh, traditional, like, 1990s-style um, RPG 
advice book, right? And so they're taught like they're talking about you should award your characters XP for having done this. And so what you may find is some characters are advancing much faster than other characters because they're getting so much more XP than everyone else. And because they're blue booking all the time. Because they're blue booking all the time in order to yep. get XP. Like, yeah, I could see that how that would have been a concern. Could still yeah. be a concern. I mean, there is a legitimate like Chris's character is going to have like a super duper backstory and everyone else is like, uh, I don't know what I did when I was three. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's the same sort of thing when I would in college, when I had more time, we'd, we'd write backstories for our characters. Um, and you'll see this occasionally still on Reddit and other places like that. Of there is no way that this eight page backstory is a first level character. Sometimes you just get the itch to be creative and you want to write that backstory. And I don't see any problem with that. Um, and it's part of the oh, reason I why I like doing things like fate or um, mm -hmm. even though I haven't played it, Savage Worlds would also, you know, like like games that don't start you off at the very bottom, but assume that you're already competent. Um, right. And I, you yeah. can have the eight page backstory and it won't conflict with the actual rules of the game. <laughs> There's one other thing that I, I want to bring up as far as just just using these oracles and kind of the, the payoff of oracles, especially either in blue booking or solo RPGing. But the the payoff of. You have watched a thing evolve. You have a sense that you didn't create this thing, that there have been things that have influenced it and you have, you have watched it grow from a set of stats to this fully formed thing in your head. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the mechanic that they have introduced in a number of role-playing games, both video games and RPGs, where um, you, know, you have a home base and you right. can augment the home base and you build this. And it's that sense of, I have built a thing. This right. started off as this, this little thing, and now it is this bigger thing, and, and I have done this. I'm getting that feeling with both uh, APT, my, um, my cyberpunk character, but Dash, my um, the, watching the evolution playing Starforged, the evolution of the character, the evolution of the sector I'm in as things get discovered. The sense that you are discovering a thing is really powerful and really addicting. Yeah. It, it, keeps, it keeps me coming back. And that's one of the reasons I enjoyed the chat GPT things when it gets it right. You know, it <laughs> sometimes it, you, you don't feel like you're creating it. You feel like you're discovering it. Yeah. yeah. In writing, there's there's two types of of writers that that are talked about. There's uh, uh, the plotters and the pantsers, or the or the like the outliners and the discovery writers. You know, depending upon the the names you want to put to them. I've heard um, that as architects and gardeners. Architects and gardeners <laughs> is another one. Uh, there you go. And like I am very firmly in the the gardeners, in the pantsers, in the discovery writers side of things because I enjoy that discovery of like what comes next. I find it very hard to do the outlining. Um, I know it can be very successful and I've done it before, but like discovering and, and to your point, oracles help you discover things that, you know, weren't there before, uh, that weren't there in your mind before. I, I started my own game, solo game of Starforged as well, you know, and, and, 
the fact that uh, my character started in a crashed starship after a group of pirates had taken over his ship and he escaped in one of their escape pods sort of thing or their shuttles. Some of that came from me. Some of that came from the oracles in Starforged. And uh, one of the ways that I have most successfully written fiction is when I was writing it with a partner. I would get to a certain point where it's like, okay, what happens next? I don't know. Hand it, you know, email that half to the email, that portion to my partner who was, who was writing, they'd write more and send it back. And it'd be like, Oh, okay. Now, now I know where things are going and, and keep going from there. And so like having an Oracle is very similar to that. The other thing that strikes me that Oracles are helpful with are for folks who just, you know, you have, you've always, we've always had those folks who love to write the huge backstory and not everybody is that person. But I think mm -hmm. the oracles allow anyone to be able to, you don't, you don't have to be the person who's like, oh, you know, I want to write like eight pages worth of prose. It could be enough to just like roll on a couple of tables, string together some thoughts and go, okay, well, I was betrayed by an evil corporation who wiped out my, like you build up that story and it doesn't take that much. It's just a couple of ro rolls on your table. And now, you know, just a little bit more about your character and you can bring that into the game. Mm -hmm. And so everybody can do that. Right. So if, if you have people who are like, oh, wow, Chris, like he has so much time to build out this, these, this background, that's okay. You can too. This, these are the tables that Chris used. <laughs> yep. Right. I always loved when characters, when players would bring me backstories for their characters because it would give me so many hooks as a yeah. GM to plan ahead. And for those care for those players who aren't fans of or don't don't want to share their writing or whatever, like using those oracles and just giving little snippets of what happened to them in the past, like you were just explaining, Ken, that would be just as useful to me as a GM uh, as a 10-page backstory. And probably faster to read nowadays than right. the 10-page backstory. <laughs> yeah, I feel a little bad about dropping my copy of War and Peace on Ken for... <laughs> no, I think it's backstory. great. But, it's but I'm, I'm a firm believer in giving GMs hooks to play with. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and if it if it if it helps me feel like I know the character better, so so be it. Yep. And I think you know, and I I, th I think you know, just to come back to it again, like there are people who have a hard time breaking out of their shell, and like some people are very gregarious at the table, and some people like just are are comfortable with with diving into the deep end of their character, and some people really struggle with it. And what I've seen, you know, with Cortex and Plot Dice and and other games that we've talked about before. Sometimes you just need to break the ice and then all of a sudden all of these ideas come flowing out. And so I think this just becomes another tool for being able to enable that. Yep. It's like the the pebble starting the pebble rolling downhill and suddenly there's an avalanche of ideas coming out of your head. Right. I think unless anybody wants to bring out like we've got some more notes here that we haven't really talked about, but most of them are links to other things that I think we can just put on layerofsecrets.com uh that we can do there unless someone like really wants to talk about it i think the only thing i'd want to touch on is the use of some of these large language model generative tools mm -hmm. or things um this is a fraught area <laughs> indeed <laughs> um i i have my own rule set that i've come up with for how I use these things that mm -hmm. revolve around 
only personal use. Never go and make money with it. It's it's problematic, and you know all of that. And, and you'll see that in my Savage Amber and Savage Dresden, I did use a large language model to help me with that, and I call that out. But my but my point that I want to get to is these things are really good for brainstorming and inspiring imagination. For example, as I said earlier, you know, you roll an oracle and say, you know, I discover something unpleasant. What's the unpleasant thing I discover? Okay. Or I run into a fixer. Tell me about this fixer and it generates a thing. Mm -hmm. Then I can take that and put it into mid journey. And suddenly I've got an image of what this thing looks like. It's almost like a type of blue book scrapbooking. Mm -hmm. Um, that you're assembling pieces out of random, you know, randomly generated things. It's it's similar to using like Pinterest or or some kind of those of, other or, things or, like that or too. scouring the web. Like you remember yeah. when you would scour the web for what a picture of your character looked like? Yep. Yes, yep. you take the picture of Johnny Depp and run it through, you know, or whatever. <laughs> it, it's a lot like that, and I I recognize that quote AI, you know, this thing we call AI right now, there really are a lot of ethical trip-ups and, and such with it. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a problem with that, do not use these tools. If you have some sort of ethical code that you can use with them, like, you know, maybe don't, you know what, I'm not going to tell you unethical things. I'm not going <laughs> to, just because I thought of them doesn't mean I need to share them. But the point is, is that have some guidelines for yourself when you go in there. Don't, don't try to duplicate real people's styles. Don't don't do that thing. Just yeah, I think I think what it comes down to for me uh, in terms of the large language models as oracles is um, if you use it, you know, have your own personal code of ethics because there isn't really a code of ethics around their use yet, and there is real harm that can come from them if you are trying to make money off of them. Um, Clark's World, I think I mentioned this maybe in our last mm -hmm. episode, was like Clark's World, which publishes sort stories, had to close submissions because there was a flood of thousands of uh, chat GPT generated mm -hmm. short stories that just flooded mm -hmm. into them because they happened to be one of the better paying short story markets. Um, people were just saying, Spit out a short story for me and then submitting that directly to Clark's world. Um, well, and look at the writer's strike. The writer's strike right now. Yeah. Is yes. One of the contentions is AI generated scripts. Yeah. And yeah. And there are people that are saying, hey, I've actually seen people on Reddit or, or other places say, hey, why don't we just, while the writers are striking, use AI-generated scripts to write our stuff? It, there are people that are being hurt, and the only people that are going to benefit are the companies that control the AIs. We're not at a point yet where we have discovered, like, every time there's been a significant increase uh, and people are put out of jobs because of certain types of technology, there is a pain point where those people are out of work and can't make money. Um, so if you've got artists who've put their stuff up on the web and Midjourney has spidered their art and can all of a sudden make their style, that artist could be out of work and, and they may not ever produce any new art and they may not be able to feed themselves. So like, it, there's, there's a, we, the huge tangent here, but 
it, you know, <laughs> I'm a coder. Most of us here are coders in, on this show uh, of one form or another. It's another big, big thing about it. You know, when you are paid a, a living wage a, as a coder and uh, as I was watching a, a, a thing from the Association for uh, Computing Machinery today, uh, they did the math and said you can basically hire ChatGPT for 12 cents a day to write code for wow. you. That's an incentive for some people to let go of their coders and assume that ChatGPT can come in and or or code copilot github copilot or one of those others can come in and just write the code for you and and hire people uh or just have like a a project manager put prompts in and then have code spit out and have less skilled workers on the other end so it's like we need to figure out some ethics on how to use this on how to create these things um so um don't be evil yeah. I mean, there's nothing, if you were to, if you were to poke my stand, it would probably fall apart by like wet tissue paper. I, I admit <laughs> I'm making an ethical compromise because I want to play with the toy mm -hmm. and that's, that's probably not the greatest thing. However, it is where I am right now. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's, that's one of those things like I'm fine with using it for personal use. We've for cyberpunk internally have used mid journey to create some character images, but we're not going to use that on the stream because that kind of goes against uh, some of our ethics in terms of we would rather pay artists to put together character portraits to make our, you know, our our Twitch stream, our YouTube stuff nicer looking, even though it kind of hurts us that we're we're going to not have that cool art on there. I don't want to take food out of artists mouths for using it but that doesn't mean that we didn't do it do it internally you know just personally personal use the the luddites were not anti-technology they were hey we need to really think about how we're using this technology before we just implement it um and so i think that's you know there there are people who don't want to use chat gpt not because it's not a useful tool but because we haven't thought about how to use it ethically mm -hmm. wow that got yeah, so deep I, I it got very, very deep. So I guess I'm I'm tiptoeing in the in the shallows with uh, with Chris over there. I think, you know, for me, like I, we all work in technology too, and so I think part of it for me is I was ignoring it for a while, but I think I need to know enough to be able to talk about it, and you know, from a yeah. a, a reasonable perspective, uh, using it to generate oracles for a role playing game for my friends seems like a nice way to learn about it without being evil. Yeah. <laughs> There's a professional, there's a professional point for each of us where we, we need to understand this thing and it's not going away and it's right. I, Definitely I mean, not going away. Let's put it this way. Um, if we're not going to work in the tech industry because of chat GPT ethical concerns, that ship has already sailed in the tech, the tech industry. I mean, mm -hmm. oh, going back years. So um, it's already ethically compromised and this is still a bad argument. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> so anyway, we're having some fun with technology. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's we're the ultimate stuff. oracle. It's the ultimate oracle, right? It's I the mean, ultimate it, oracle. It, it, it's, it's all probability. It's all anyway. Yeah. If, um, and, if, and it, uh, you know, if any of you guys out there want to talk more chat GPT, um, come on over, uh, email us podcast at layer of secrets.com or 
better yet, post at, at layer of secrets. Well, not on Twitter. We don't run up. I don't even know if <laughs> I'm not checking Twitter anymore. Uh, I occasionally check. You what about the okay, okay, but we are on dice.camp at Layer of Secrets uh, on Mastodon. And of course, you can come over to LayerofSecrets.com and put in comments onto any of our episodes. Uh, and so we we definitely want to we definitely want some feedback about that or any of the or on any of the lighter Oracle stuff that we talked about, more game yeah. or centered Oracle stuff that we talked about. So I, I basically did our canned outro, but not so. <laughs> Thanks for listening and please send us some feedback and visit layerofsecrets.com for any and all of these links that I happen to mention and all of the links for oracles and all of those other other wonderful things that we talked about in this last episode. And if you want to follow up on the rumor of a Discord server for Layer of Secrets. Oh yes. Might be able to find some information about that. I heard a guy just talking about that. Yep. Sorry, did I let it slip? I, I... No, no. I think we have a post up on yeah, the. We, we talked do. about it in the last episode or That's two. That's why I thought it was okay. I thought I was. I thought I was safe. The episode that just went live, which is about three or four episodes ago, talked about our Discord, and which meant we also talked about it on Twitch, uh, which I didn't mention. So if you want to see us record live and see how the sausage is made, feel free to head on over to. Uh, Twitch, we're Layer of Secrets over on Twitch as well. Thanks, everyone, and have a good day.